previously on Atlas Obscura. It's so inexplicable. You can dream up so many different theories and none of them work. None of them fit the facts. In January of 1959, nine skiers disappear in the Ural Mountains of the Soviet Union. When a search party goes out looking for them, they stumble on a scene that cannot be easily explained. Bodies that look like they've been hit by a truck. Some half-clothed. A tent with all of their belongings laid out carefully in place, untouched. One of the most gruesome and terrifying tragedies that I've ever come across in my life. The government abruptly closes the investigation. For decades, rumors swirl. Was it a secret chemical weapon? A UFO? A KGB operation gone wrong? Well, in 2019, the Russian prosecutor general's office reopened the case. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. If you're just tuning in, in our last episode, we explored the mysterious disappearance and death of these nine skiers in Russia's Ural Mountains, which has become one of the most puzzling unsolved mysteries to emerge from the former Soviet Union. Today, we rejoin the story to find out what happened when this case was re-examined in a new light just a few years ago. And has it been solved? Well, you know, that's a matter of debate. More after this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. In 2019, after years of pressure from the families of the skiers, the Russian government officially reopened the case on the incident. The hikers had become known as the Dyatlov Party, named for the leader of the group, skier and student Igor Dyatlov. A prosecutor was appointed to lead the investigation, and his name was Andrei Kriakov. Instead of it just being a homicide case, Kriakov was given a mandate of finding out what really did happen. Please find out what happened. This is Doug Preston. He's a journalist and author. And it was after this investigation that Doug started reporting a piece for The New Yorker on what the Russian prosecutor Kuryakov had uncovered. He started with a very careful 
and sober investigation. Um, using photogrammetry, uh, they went to the site. He did all these scientific studies up there at night in the dark where he blindfolded people and, and so on and so forth. And he announced, he said, we've solved it. We've solved the case. So let's go back to the scene of the crime as Kuryakov saw it. First, there's the tent, half buried in snow. He links this with a camera that was found with photographs of the climbers setting up their campsite. Based on the last photograph, you can see them cutting in to this very deep, deep snow that was probably in the wind shadow of the peak because they were trying to, they wanted to pitch their tent in a place where there was not these high winds. And a snow slab detached itself from above the tent and just slid over the tent, trapping them under enormous weight of snow. They started with maybe the most obvious explanation, something that many people, maybe you listening to this, had initially reached for. That a bunch of snow fell on these people, that this was all just an avalanche. Many had dismissed the avalanche theory right off, because the tent was found still half-standing when it was discovered by the search party. And all of the other weird things surrounding the case didn't seem to fit. But for Kriyakov, this was both the start and the cornerstone of what he says happened. I've done quite a bit of mountaineering, uh, winter camping, and I can say that the paranoia of avalanches is extremely high. And the more you know about avalanche, the avalanche danger, the more paranoid you become. Hmm. So having this snow slab slide across their tent and trap them, making a lot of noise, a cracking and groaning of snow, it was very loud, really terrified them and made them think that they were about to be buried under an avalanche. And that's why they left and retreated to the tree line where there was more shelter and lit a fire. That brings us to our next evidence scene. The burned-out fire, more than a quarter mile from the tent. And the bodies found there with strange and horrible burns. So, what happened next? It's 60 below zero and the wind's blowing at 30 miles, 30 to 40 miles per hour. Now, you're still going to freeze to death even if with a fire. And, in fact, you're going to try to keep yourself warm. And where these burns came from, these bizarre third-degree burns on legs, feet, and the side of the head, are these individuals desperately trying to keep themselves warm in this storm and not succeeding. The fire was not enough. When you're dying of hypothermia, uh, there's often a tremendous mental confusion occurs. And the other, other thing is a phenomenon called a paradoxical undressing which is when you're freezing to death, at a certain point, you feel like you're burning up, you're hot. You start taking off your clothes. So two people die or or freeze to death at the fire, and their clothes are cut off, and the others are trying to use their clothes to get some more warmth. Now, at this point, the group divides. Two of them, Dyatlov and another, decide they're going to try to go back to the tent because that's really the only shelter they can think of. And they head back up and they freeze to death on their way up. The others do another thing that is absolutely textbook, which is to build a snow cave. 
It was in this snow cave that these four bodies were found face down with horrific injuries, all like they'd been hit by a Mack truck. I talked to an avalanche expert in Colorado who was one of the the country's actually one of the world's greatest experts in snow avalanches. And he explained what happened at the snow cave. They built their snow cave without knowing it above a live stream. Now this stream never freezes ever, no matter how cold it gets. And it had created a cavern above it uh, that of quite a substantial space. So they just out of sheer bad luck dug their snow cave down above this cavern. The bottom of their snow cave collapsed. They fell onto the rocky bed of the stream, and then on top of them came down 20 feet of snow, and that's what crushed them. And I was a little skeptical of this. I said, is that really going to do the injuries that, that they found? And he said, absolutely. This is a pretty plausible, pretty straightforward theory. It was the elements that got them. But there were still all of these bizarre details from this case that just didn't seem to be explained by it. Let's talk about the radiation. Obviously, a huge, bizarre aspect of this. What is the kind of explanatory idea behind the radiation? You know, it's 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 amazing that it wasn't brought out earlier. Well, it turns out that one of the people worked at the Mayak nuclear reactor, uh, which was a secret reactor that experienced the third largest nuclear accident in history after Fukushima. He worked at that reactor. He was there when the accident occurred, and he participated in the cleanup. And that, that accident occurred only two years before and it left a radioactive plume, which was 400 miles long and uh, contaminated a whole bunch of towns. But this being the Soviet Union, those poor townspeople were never told for a year that they'd been contaminated. And one of the other members of the expedition lived in one of those towns. So that explains the radiation. The radiation explanation is kind of simple. It's 1950s Soviet Russia. All they're doing all kinds of of stuff with new uh, uh, nuclear energy. But the KGB thing, uh, you know, what's the answer there? This was the member of the party who was added last minute. That older guy with the tattoos and the crowns on his teeth. Well, I, I think the answer is probably this guy was a KGB informant. I mean, they were all over Russia. They weaseled their way everywhere because that was it was a totalitarian state and uh, he just happened to be unlucky and the whole idea that the cia was somehow involved i mean this area was incredibly remote and extremely dangerous i mean if the cia were going to do an operation they would never choose this as a place to do it it's completely absurd there were other loose ends that could be tied up to at least somewhat the theory that there was some sort of secret weapons program that the skiers has stumbled on well, all the files from the former Soviet Union had been released and endlessly combed over. And there was just no evidence that there was a military base of any kind in the area. And those strange photos with the weird blips and lights, Doug says that's just what it looks like at the end of the roll of film when light leaks into it. 
And so that was the Kuryakov explanation. No KGB, no UFOs, no secret government weapons program. And roughly a year after his investigation began, Kuryakov went on television to announce what he had discovered. Probably not authorized, but, you know, he was looking for some publicity. I don't know. I can't speculate. But he went on television to announce, case closed, we've solved it, and here, here's the answer. And he proceeded to lay out his explanation. And in my view, the right explanation. However, it caused an absolute uproar in Russia because it did not agree with Russian opinion at all. Um, no, there was no secret military testing. There was the CIA was not involved. Russian American spies, the KGB wasn't involved. There's the UFOs weren't involved. You know, all these wonderful conspiracy theories he threw out, and he came up with a perfectly natural explanation. And it caused such a furor that he was uh, fired. His wife was fired from her job, too. And he was sent off to some, some job as, you know, in, the, in the middle of nowhere in Siberia. He was literally sent to Siberia to, to be in charge of, of, of forestry. Uh, it was a bureaucrat in charge of cutting down trees. So, and the Russian prosecutor general's office never issued a report. People still obsess over this case. People are not satisfied with what I think you and I both define a, find is a pretty compelling explanation of what, what happened. What do you think it is that makes this case so it's so hard for people to accept that it's actually, in a way, a kind of a simple story of people overcome by the elements? Well, what is it that just keeps people wanting to have some other answer? Well, you know, when I started writing this piece for The New Yorker, I didn't buy that theory myself. I thought it's, and I was attracted to this because there didn't seem to be an explanation. Look, we want to live in a world that still has its mysteries, that still has, you know, the potential of UFOs or Yetis or strange, you know, mysterious weapons, you know. We love that as human beings. I don't know why, but we do. We love the mystery and the enigma of it. And so when I began this article, I felt the same way. And I have to tell you, I was increasingly disappointed as I researched this thing, as I talked to Russians uh, and interviewed them and, and looked into this, I was increasingly disappointed as I came to believe that there was this explanation and that it was quite mundane. Now, it's not, it's a little bizarre. I mean, there's some weird coincidences there, I admit, but it's pretty mundane. And it's actually the only explanation that fits the facts perfectly. I also think there's something about the Soviet government in this that keeps it, you know, calling to people, right? Like, do you think there's something about the distrust of how the Soviet authorities handled cases like this and just sort of, you know, everything in general that keeps people wanting different answers? Absolutely. I think, you know, the Russians really don't trust their government and for very good reason. And they're very skeptical of any kind of official explanation of anything. And that is a powerful, powerful part of this story. But actually, as we've been talking, I realized Doug might not be as fully satisfied with this conclusion as he might want us to believe. 
Another part of your writing life is that you write fiction together with uh, author Lincoln Child. And you wrote a fictional version of this story. You don't have to, to spoil it. Um, does your conclusion in that version tie up loose ends? Does it, what did you do in the fiction story that didn't doesn't happen in the real story in some sense? Yeah. Well, it's it's really funny. After that article appeared in The New Yorker, I talked to my writing partner, Lincoln, and I said, we'll write our own novel based on this. I don't want to spoil it, but there's this weird thing that happened in New Mexico, in the Manzano Mountains in the 1950s, and a nuclear accident that nobody knows about. So Lincoln and I wrote a novel called Dead Mountain. It, it has a, an alternative explanation for what happened uh, in the Dyatlov Pass incident, which maybe is not so far off. Yeah, I love that even you, who has dived into this almost as deeply as anyone has, is unable to stop themselves from coming up with more kind of grand or fantastical explanations. It's just, it's, you know, I think your point about people wanting mystery and the possibility of sort of truly otherworldly answers to questions is, is, um, is right on. Thanks, Doug. Thanks so much. The mountain where Dyatlov and his party disappeared has since been renamed the Dyatlov Pass, and today it's a popular hiking destination. If you are interested in the case and you want to learn more, check out Doug's new book, The Lost Tomb, which will be released December 5th. There's also a bunch of other great and weird and freaky stories in there. Or if you prefer the fictional version, his book Dead Mountain with Lincoln Child is out now. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Stitcher Studios. This episode was produced by Amanda McGowan. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire, Gabby Gladney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There's a link in our episode description. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. Addie. Hey, did you know there's a little pink pill? Wait. A what? A little pink pill? Did you say a little pink pill? Yes, the little pink pill. You definitely need to know about this. Are you for real? Just to be clear. You're telling me there's a little pink pill for me? That's right. The little pink pill. And it's called Addy. A-D-D-Y-I. Or Flibanserin. Learn more about the little pink pill at A-D-D-Y-I.com. See full prescribing information and medication guide, including boxed warning regarding severe low blood pressure and fainting in certain settings at Addy.com slash P-I. Or call 844-PINK-PILL. Good news, ladies. There's more. Addy, the FDA-approved little pink pill, is also affordable and can be shipped directly to your front door. That's right. With insurance coverage, Addy is only $20 per month and $0 after month three. If your insurance doesn't cover Addy, there is still a discount program to get you the best possible price and get free shipping right to your door. So now's the time to ask your doctor about Addy. Learn more at Addy.com. That's A-D-D-Y-I.com.
the world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure they are always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com.